Hello guys, David Vose here. Oh my goodness, it's just another beautiful day here in Alabama. Very overcast and night starts sprinkling here. Hope you're having a wonderful day where you are. So, it's getting a little bit later and I hadn't done a video yet and I thought, well, okay, it's now or never and I have a moment here I'm sitting here in my uh, little chair <laughs> I look kind of a lazy boy thing and well I don't know it's kind of a thrift store special but you know what I mean it's uh, a place to sit and I'm here in this cabin and dogs have wrestled themselves out now I guess a little bit hopefully they won't bark too much but I wanted to just talk a little bit um, I mean, five minutes ago, I had no clues to what I would talk about, and I'm developing a a little idea here as we as we talk. Is because I, I'm remembering a few things that happened to me, uh, a couple of discussions that I've had here in the last few hours, and these are the kinds of things that cause my mind to think, and. Uh, See if, you know, it, it, no matter where we are, or what we're doing, I mean, we're making progress or something in life or we're not, we're constantly running what we're doing through our mind to see if what we're doing is the correct thing and making decisions. That's what we do as human beings. We make decisions. And so I'm talking with somebody about life and all the troubles that we've been through and a friend of mine is mentioning this the few things that they had gone through how tough it was and and uh and I was thinking about a lot of the things that I've been through and immediately I think about all the people that listen to these videos and I know a lot of you are going through a lot of stuff and life is pretty uncertain at this point and in spite of all the videos that we do and all the sound counsel that we give and all of the uh, concepts and possibilities that we cover. And, and, and yeah, sometimes it does sound like we've got an answer. We articulate a particular answer for a lot of particular things. But yet, once the video is gone and we're left to just sit in the darkness, looking out into the darkness and blackness of space and we realize that we're all alone ultimately no matter what's going on we're always just all alone we're the only one in this little body right looking out and we sometimes meet people out there we see if we can you know have a conversation with some of these people and sometimes they're like oh yeah i really relate to that you and i we're like on the same path we're doing a lot of the same things i really relate to you and let's be friends. And so, you know, you try to be friends and you find out, well, sometimes that don't work out. Because it does seem like it's really true that we're just all alone, no matter what. I know people that have been married for years, 20 years or something, and they still feel they're all alone. It's like nobody gets us. Nobody understands. Because, you know, it seems like we've been through things that just doesn't make sense. And we have to, I mean, I remember thinking years ago, like, my goodness, what is the devil? 
chasing me? Like, is, is, am I delusional or is this stuff happening to me? You know, it ain't happening. Uh, it doesn't seem like it's happening because of me. And you certainly get a lot of people that will want to tell you, oh, it's all your fault. You shouldn't have done A and B and you wouldn't have gotten C. Oh, this is geometry. Okay, it's that simple. You do A, B, and C and you're going to get D, E, and F or whatever. But you didn't do that. You made the wrong choices, my son. Oh, grasshopper, you know. Tell me the meaning of life, you know. And, and you're like, well, I don't know to pursue the goal. That's it. You won what's behind door number two. But in reality, we're still lost because we got the answers, but the answers are like, there's something's wrong, right? There's something out of place. We get lots of answers all the time. Sometimes we get answers. We thought, oh man, this is going to be the answer. This is going to help me, right? A new way to make all this money, right? <clears throat> uh, a new little business we could venture into, make some money and we'll have a better life or, or, um, Hey, I met somebody and we're getting along and maybe we'll be soulmates or, or something. There's always, you know, there's always some new adventures, but it doesn't seem to matter. We always seem to have troubles and it, we always end up alone at the end of the night when we close our eyes and we're little, we're making, we're having these little dreams or whatever. And, and it's ultimately everything hinges on ourselves. It seems like nobody's really going to be with us. You can't really depend on anything. We don't even know if anything in this world is real. It actually does start start feeling almost as if nothing's really even real. Why do these things keep happening? Like I said before, sometimes you think, my goodness, this couldn't have been accidental, right? There's got to be some spiritual thing going on here. I'm being tested. Like, what? why did that happen, right? Right in the middle of this beautiful relationship, they walk out on you. Or, hey, you, you got this wonderful job, now he fired you. Or, you know, it's just, you're going along, you think you got a family, and then they all just, you know, up and leave, or whatever. Or you're an outcast. Or you did something wrong, and now nobody will forgive you. So, a lot of times, we'll go out and we'll find a self-help book. You know, you've probably read them all. If you're searching, if you're, a human being and maybe you've read the book uh think rich and grow rich or i don't remember the name of that book but or or you know positive thinking or the secret or something and uh you know the celestine prophecy or something people read books i remember years ago when i was younger i got a hold of a book called out on a limb by shirley mclean and you know at that time i had heard a little bit of new age stuff but not really that much. Because see, coming out of Jehovah's Witnesses, I guess I felt a certain way to start with. I didn't think I was going to find out that everything I thought and believed had been false. I mean, you know, I, I mean, I soon found out that, yeah, it's everything. That what we were, what I was told would be the worst thing you could ever do is be a new ager or something or, or believe in the Trinity or believe in this omniscient God, right? We didn't believe in that. You know, immortality and, and the virgin birth or something, you know. Um, so I didn't really think something like reincarnation karma would be right. I mean, that's after all, that's from 
pagan sources, right? Bhagavad Gita and all this stuff. Let's stick with the Bible. That's the only thing I knew. So I studied Seventh-day Adventist stuff. Before, well, actually, before I did that, because I had been Jehovah's Witness, I had ordered the books of Charles Chase Russell. There were seven studies in the scriptures or something. And I guarantee there's few people that have actually read those books. They're not well circulated. Jehovah's Witnesses really don't want you to to read those books, so they discontinued the publishing of them. I mean, somebody picked it up and published it years later, an, an offshoot of Jehovah's Witnesses, I think that they're called the <clears throat> the Golden or the Dawn or something like that movement. So you can order these books, and you know, the only way I could describe it is that they're kind of like the Great Controversy by Ellen White. I mean, not not in any real way, I, I don't know. I mean, only in the sense that they're both kind of from an Adventist perspective. And they both, somewhere along the line, a good portion of what was being spoken of was the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation. And when taken from a kind of an Adventist point of view where, you know, because both Job's Witnesses and Adventists, they came from the same Advent movement. And they both don't believe in immortality of the soul. They don't believe in hell. They don't believe in the Trinity. They don't believe in, you know, Jesus being the God, only Yahweh is the God. I don't know. I think Adventists kind of kind of more or less have a two-deity system. They don't believe in the mother, but they kind of believe in Jesus, kind of, although the father's greater, but yet they're both God. I mean, it's kind of weird. Jehovah's Witnesses have a similar idea. But anyway, they have these views. And so I was... Raised in that kind of thing. So I read against policy. Job's Witnesses really don't want you to find those books. But I'd already been thrown out of my ear. So I went and I ordered those books and I read them. That was where I first really did my research. I say I didn't really read a lot of books. I've talked about how I just didn't read a lot of books. Well, there's a reason. Because I started off, there's these huge books. There's seven of them. And they're quite voluminous, you know. And I read them all and studied them. It was actually so deep, I don't think I even fully understood all of it. But I was confident that that part of the, their understanding was probably true. When was the end coming? I was like, that's all Adventists do. Sit around trying to figure out when the end's coming, right? They don't study how it is that we should be more spiritual. They basically study verses of the Bible and when you're reading Ellen White and the Great Controversy and all of that, she has quite a few other books, you're really just studying verses of the Bible that prove that we're under the law and we should keep the Sabbath. I mean, pretty much that's her, the whole theme, prophecy, the third angel's message, in Revelation, fear God and give him glory and keep his commandments, that which they believe is the commandments of Yahweh, these Ten Commandments. A lot of Adventists keep the holy days and stuff as well. But then there was the, uh, Herbert Armstrong that went way over into the law and started keeping all the holy days and stuff. So I had endeavored to try and understand 
for years, whether under law or not. Because I'm, if I'm if I'm if I'm reading Ellen White's books and she's saying, okay, we're we got to keep the Sabbath, and this is the sign, the mark that you're a true Christian that you're keeping the Sabbath, and she showed verses what seemed to indicate that, and I I knew of certain verses that contradicted what she was saying that we were under any law at all. But I also understood that there were verses that bothered me that sounded like, well, maybe we were under some kind of law. So her idea was, we're not under any other law. Colossians says, taste not, touch not, handle not, and and the ordinances are done away. That's referring to all the other parts of the law, the sacrifices and stuff, holy days. But we're not to stop keeping Sabbath. We have the, the main thing is all Christians basically don't murder, don't lie, don't make idols, all of that. Honor your mother and your father. Everybody feels like we're all under those laws. And she had a very good argument. It was like, well, if we're going to keep nine out of the ten laws, what about the Sabbath? Why not we just keep that one? Well, <clears throat> I learned later, but boy, it was a long road down this steep, windy road that when I really don't keep any of those laws, um, I will murder if to defend myself. I mean, I do believe that that is a, a right, a human right. So it wasn't just don't murder right? It was, don't have anger. Don't be unjust. Don't be cruel. It was much deeper than that. And in fact, if you really believe in Yahweh's law, what he's really saying is not don't murder. Because he actually commands us to go and murder other nations. And the only grounds that he gives is that they are not worshiping him. So anybody who doesn't believe like you do, you go and you murder them. So I don't really believe in that. And I don't really believe that, you know, you get convinced to think, well, you shouldn't commit adultery. Of course, Dave, would you? That's wrong. Well, first of all, everybody in the United States and basically anybody in the world has already committed adultery. I mean, and then Jesus made the point that if you've looked at a woman, you've done it in your heart already anyway. So, but when I finally figured out that we're not under law, but under grace, and I understood why it became clear that you cannot legislate righteousness. And the other thing is, is that the law, even the Ten Commandments, weren't really laws that represented righteousness. You know, we've said before, the first three of the Ten Commandments are basically the same law. You must worship me, I'm the only deity, and if you don't, I'll kill you. Second commandment. You must worship me only. No other God, no other name on your lips. Don't make idols or I'll kill you, you know. So there's three of those. And then I realized that this thing called adultery was really slavery. Where I found out that the basis for marriage was in Exodus 21 1 verse 7, which says that when you sell your daughter as a slave, and that was the the one law that is all there is that constitutes marriage. It's a marriage covenant. You make agreements. You put a woman under your law. You become the Lord, the husbandman. They have to do whatever you say. And it's until death do you part. They become your slave. You purchase them. Literally, Laban had these women that Abraham's children would go to and purchase these women. And so Jacob worked seven years for Rachel and seven years for Leah. And this is what 
marriage is. It's slavery. And when I found that out, I'm like, well, what good is this commandment? Don't commit adultery. Because all it's saying is, is if you're a slave, you're not allowed to ever leave. You can't love the person of your choice. You were purchased by some guy coming along, you know, who had enough camels to purchase you. And he went and he made a deal with your dad. And now I, I know that there were probably a lot of people that would ask their, their daughter, now would you like to do this? But I imagine a lot of them would say, well, you know, because it was culture and it was the way things were, you almost, because you didn't know what, at this point, you were just a young virgin lady. You didn't really know what marriage was. They, they made you keep your head covered all the way to your feet. I don't think a young person, a young virgin person, had ever been exposed. Like today, we got all this R-rated movies and pornography and violence on television. So, it wasn't like that in those days. You were just sheltered away somewhere on the farm, working out in the, you know, with the sheep or something. And finally, this guy, this rich guy comes along from some city. He wants to purchase you. It's culture. You don't think anything of it. He's offering you to go away some fancy, you know, exciting new life and venture. And maybe he's got a harem and you get along with him. I mean, it's just part of the culture, so you do it. But you're never really happy. You, you're just born and raised in this culture and you just do it. That's not really morality or righteousness. None of the law is righteousness. The Sabbath law is basically the law of slavery as well. You must serve or slave six days, but on the seventh day you will rest. So all of your slaves, you have to let them rest on the seventh day. But they're not going to be allowed to rest on any of the other days. And, and think about this. Under the law of Moses, it was nothing about you could only work them eight hours or 40 hours a week or something. It was six days. So, I mean, theoretically, there's nothing in the Old Testament that says anything about whether or not you could work them all night long. I suppose if you worked them and they passed out out of exhaustion and died, you'd be held accountable. But those rich masters that owned all these slaves, these manors, I'm sure they worked their slaves and got every penny or every bit of worth out of them and said, no, I don't care if you're tired, get out there in the field and work. And now, some of them may have been more lenient than others. Some of them may have treated their slaves better. But the point is, is you had no choice. You were a slave. And so the entire law, I don't care if it's the Ten Commandments or not, is law. And, you know, I didn't fully allow my mind to go into all these little places at the beginning, but I endeavored to... to Find the truth or understand what I believed by going over these books more. I mean, going over Charles Taze Russell's studies in the scriptures and then studying Ellen White, thinking, well, maybe she's got some answers. Maybe, maybe it wasn't Job's, maybe it's Adventist. You know, just looking for the truth. I found Mormonism. I read uh, A Marvelous Work in a Wonder and other books, lots of different things. I read Herbert Armstrong. One day I found Mary Baker Eddy. It's a little book called Science and Health. And that book opened my eyes. That was the book that opened my eyes to the fact that there is esoteric truth in amongst all these stories in the Bible. And that the literal part of the scripture is not the important part. 
And that's where my journey really began. And I think it was sometime after that or around that time that I found Shirley MacLaine's Out on a Limb. Because it was written in, in a, a warm sort of novel form that sounded like it was her life, it was true, she was explaining what she went through, uh, I sort of, what would you say, related to her experience. And even though she was a rich movie star lady, it, uh, she made me believe somehow or another that she was really searching and going through this this search and finding these answers. And some of the answers she's talked about with reincarnation, so like this blew my mind. I really thought about that. So that's where I started waking up to this other side of the Bible, the spiritual nature of the Bible. So then I, I read everything I could, like uh, The Power of Positive Thinking with Norman Vincent Peale and other books like that. But in the end, I probably read, I read the Book of Mormon, I read, you know, maybe 20, 30, 40 books, I, I can't really tell you, it seemed like maybe 10 or 20 books, but it could have been 40 or 50 books by the time I was done, just in a few years, couple of years there when I was young, searching, and one day, I wanted to know more about Herbert Armstrong, because I wanted, because I was really praying and asking the Lord to prove to me, are we really under this law, or not, because if we are like Ellen White says, under some kind of law, then maybe we're under the whole law. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe these laws that people say are so bad, like slavery and stuff like maybe, you know, or sacrifices and stuff like maybe, maybe that's the real, you know, I thought about that for a minute. Maybe we're supposed to live in the world. Maybe sacrifices is what people think it is. Maybe it's just about eating meat. And maybe that's how we, you know, have a relationship with the Lord by giving thanks when we butcher an animal and you you do some sort of ritual and let the blood go into the ground and 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 you have this thanksgiving in your heart and 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 so everything is a dedication everything is 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 a um hey guys oh there's a train going by so I stopped the tape and I thought well I'll just show my face for a minute and say hi but um I don't have it all set up. I don't have a studio here. And so it's just, I've been just, you know, doing it the way I've been doing it. But I'll probably be doing a lot more videos with my face and stuff like that. We're going to be traveling all over the place here when we get to New Mexico. Anyway, back to what we were saying. So in that scenario, as I allowed my mind to think about it, just for a minute, I didn't, you know, seriously contemplate this too much. But I thought, listen, we either got to go back to the Old Testament and take the whole thing if that deity is the true deity and believe everything he says. And if there is something that he doesn't want us to do anymore that's outdated, I could understand that. You know, he could explain to us why. He's like, well, in those days you could do this, but now you can't. And I wanted you to be a polygamy, do involved in polygamy and do all this stuff for a period of time. But now it's not appropriate. You've grown up or matured or something. The law could change in that sense. Or, hey, uh, I allowed slavery for certain people simply because maybe they were criminals. And that's one way to deal with criminals. You know, make them pay off what they've done, their debt. I get that. But to, but the, the idea that the entire world just, except for these chosen people, they're all debtor nations. And they're all, just by their birthright, are born slaves. None of that made any sense. I, I went through all of this in my head. The idea that all women are just born slaves, 
And they got to be covered from head to toe. Can't make their own decisions. Uh, they're bought and sold like prostitutes. I couldn't understand what was the difference between prostitution or marriage. Once I found out that the Israelites were told to go in and genocide all these people. I said, well, they were all, they were giants, Dave. They were, they were devils. They had to kill them. Okay, but what about the other nations? And, and by the way, it tells you specifically in the Bible that the Canaanites weren't all giants. They were children of Canaan, of the son of Ham, who is a human being. And I didn't really understand at the time how, how a whole race or tribe of people could be blamed for thousands of years. Because even in the book, was it, uh, is it Malachi or something? It says that, or Habakkuk, what, I don't know, one of those small prophets speak of, I think it was Malachi, that that in the millennial reign, there will not be any more Canaanites in the land. So this deity, Yahweh, was serious about the Canaanites. They had to all die, right? And 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 trying to come to grips with, with the idea of what, then what is death? If it's just okay that some people just end up dying, and I think about how precious life is, it really didn't make any sense that you know, you found verses in the Bible in the New Testament where he turned the other cheek. It just seemed opposite. And Jesus talked about love and it was a new covenant. And all nations, tribes, and tongues will be saved. It really didn't make any sense. But, so I, I, I fully and completely studied and read Ellen White. I fully and completely studied Jehovah's Witnesses and all their ancient old books and watchtowers to see if maybe I was wrong. And um, at some point, though, that the last thing I did before I stopped reading books, I just don't read books now. I make it a policy that I don't read anybody's books. I don't watch anybody's theories on YouTube or, or documentaries. I don't watch George Norrie anymore or anything like that. I don't trust anybody. But about the last thing I did was I, I was still trying to figure out this law thing. Either we're go back to Yahweh completely or somehow or another God's schizophrenic or maybe Jesus is a uh, a different deity. His father's different. I hadn't fully looked into all the Gnostics and realizing that they actually taught this. But my last hurrah at reading books and searching religions was I found Herbert Armstrong a few times. He used to come on the television on Sundays sometimes. He'd have like a, I don't remember, it was a half an hour or an hour or something. And he'd come on there and say, this is the, the message of the gospel that hasn't been proclaimed in 2,000 years. And you got to keep the Sabbath and all of the holy days. And it's not righteous what you people are doing. You're going to die and and go to hell and whatever. And so I was listening to this and I thought, okay, well, let me, let me see his arguments because it did make some sense that if, if we're going to believe in this deity and he's got all these laws and maybe we should just keep them. Maybe that's what's wrong with the world is we're not actually keeping these commandments. So I read, well, you couldn't find the guy. You couldn't get a hold of his books or anyone. So I, I think I found a book and I found a, contact information in, in the book or a phone number or something. I looked it up in the phone book or something. And I made this call and somebody came out in this little car to where I lived in Idaho 
they drove probably a couple hundred miles or whatever to 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 meet me and they really surprised me it was nothing like joe's witnesses or mormons or whatever when they come to your door they'll sit down try to talk you into believing what they believe this guy just oh yep, yep whatever yep, bum, bum, bum. you know just didn't want to argue about anything well he didn't want to discuss anything he didn't want to sit down with me and explain anything to me he said come on down to the car and he opened up his trunk and there in the back of his trunk was all these brochures and pamphlets and books and I was interested in all of the information so he gave me one of each or something and I read all of them well I mean they're little paperback books they're real small he did have some interesting ideas and I struggled with some of what he said for a while but I kept praying about it. I kept praying about it. And it wasn't long after that that I'd gone out into the field and I saw the angel. And I began to have some kind of a communion with the Lord where I began to just pray and the Lord would reveal. I would read the Bible and the Lord would open up the verses to me. And it happened that one day, as I'm praying and reading the scriptures, the Holy Spirit just spoke to me. It was over. I mean, I heard the words. I knew it. There was no turning back. I've never again looked back. And the Lord said, there is no law. You are not under any law. You are heir of the divine being. You are a free child. And I don't condemn people. And I heard these words and this truth. And I never again looked back. So I never, after that, basically the Lord told me there are no true religions. There is no organization that knows anything. New Age groups know about reincarnation. They know about a few things and karma and stuff. But they don't actually have the truth. So I stopped, I stopped reading other people's books. But then I began to try to practice. Because, I mean, I, I saw a few different versions of what people thought it meant to be positive or to have faith or, you know, to become enlightened or whatever that meant. And I, I endeavored to understand what it meant. It certainly didn't mean you were somehow righteous according to law. It, it be, I began to realize that all human beings have the same fleshly nature and the same spiritual nature. As in Adam, we all die. As in Christ, we're all made alive. And I began to understand that there was a time an appointed time for all things. And that the world was a schoolmaster. And we were all learning together. And the time would come, the great harvest, and we would we'd wake up, there'd be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and the Lord would teach us all these things. And so I would pray to the Lord for wisdom and ask him, I said, Lord, send me, send me, but tell me what the truth is. Help me to understand. I, I want to know what the Holy Spirit, I started thinking about what is really the Holy Spirit? How do you have this communion? So, you know, I went through various concepts. I would sit, I would go camping and, and, and spend days out in the wilderness by myself. And I remember having uh, such huge revelations just out there alone, praying and fasting. And the Lord would give me these just downloads and just information. But at the time, I wasn't doing videos. So I would get this information, I would think about it, and then 
you know, six months would go by and it was like I was pursuing other information and you'd almost kind of forgot what you'd already learned. I mean, it was like a, I began to realize that in order to really grow, it's kind of like math. You have to bring down the two, carry the one, and there had to be a way, a system to get all these information, this piece, all these pieces of information down so that you can build on the information and, and expand and, I mean, if you learn something experimentally, you don't forget it. Like if you learned that you could commune with the divine father of heaven and earth and you actually commune with the divine father of heaven and earth, you don't forget that. But sometimes the Holy Spirit will tell you, well, really the only answer is to get out of the world and to live in the real world, to get out from the entanglements of this system. And I heard that over and over again, but I never was quite ready. I was kind of like the rich man, which I, well, I wasn't rich at all, but you know, in a sense, I had my own, uh, problems, whether, you know, even though it wasn't wealth, but, um, it, it was a very difficult thing for the rich man to give up everything he had and sell it to the poor. So even when you come to this realization, you know the truth. And I think a lot of us are there already. A lot of you have probably done the same thing I did. Maybe it wasn't Adventists and Witnesses or or what maybe you studied Buddhism or you studied this or you studied that. But you know, you come to this place where you realize that there's no truth in books, there's no truth in this world, and you know that something's really, really wrong. And maybe you've come to some spiritual understanding that God is everywhere and God is within us and we're the temple and love is all the answers, is all there is and all this. And yet you, you still find yourself not being able to do what Jesus told the rich man is sell everything and give it to the poor. It's that last step that's a doozy. And it's taken me all those years from when I started searching and I started finding answers. I mean, once I, once I started getting answers, I started learning what it was really was to hear the Lord speak to you in some telepathic communication. And once I began to realize that you could leave your body and travel anywhere in the world, you could know anything you ever wanted. I remember I've, I've had so many experiences and maybe one day I'll even share some of them with you. But, you know, experiences where like I went to this place, I would go to this every night I have this particular vision that where the angels would take me to this specific place and they would show me like there was a dead end in the road and they would say okay you can't go beyond this because you have too much fear there's something you must do to get beyond this place and if you can get beyond this place we're going to take you someplace that will open up a whole new arena for you will enlighten your mind more than you've ever been enlightened before but you've got to there's something blocking you from going beyond this point and i would drive up and it would be this four-way st uh, stop area and i would just be teleported right back to my body and i i couldn't go beyond that and this would happen and i'd i'd say lord please let me go this time i, I think i've you know conquered my fears or whatever and every time i would come to the same spot and i would stop and i couldn't go beyond it but somehow I knew that if I could go beyond this, that I would, I would open up into this vista of this beautiful understanding that I hadn't been able to understand. And I couldn't understand so long as I was still harboring some of these fears and, 
and and doubts and problems that I still had and was still holding on to. So I prayed and I prayed and I fasted and I did everything and I, that I could. And, and then the Lord told me, you know, even your fasting is not pure. What are you fasting for? Are you fasting for the truth? Are you fasting for me? Are you fasting for righteousness? Or are you just fasting to see how many days you can go without eating? Or, or do you, do you somehow, uh, are you doing this to gain wisdom? What is your motive? You know, you would be surprised at how we human beings can be doing things that we think is so amazing. I mean, Jesus said this all the time. He said, don't blow a trumpet before you. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is. That's very important. You're never going to make much progress if your intentions, your, your heart isn't pure. And then that's what I learned that really propelled me. When I found out that it was going to require absolute sincerity. When Jesus said, sell everything, he meant it. But I was very sorrowful because, not because I had a lot of wealth, but because there's always something to hold you back. Remember the guy that said, let me go bury my father? And Jesus said, let the dead go bury the dead. You come follow me. Well, I couldn't let go of my family, even though I didn't have much family left. They threw me all out and had nothing. But when my mother was still alive so many years ago, I mean, this is probably, um, mom, mom's been passed away now about 28 years. So uh, almost 30 years ago, I was dealing with this. And I knew at that time that I, I, I needed to get out of this world in some, some uh, unique and truthfully absolute powerful way. I needed to remove myself from all of this evil in this world by, by finding the life that the Lord wanted a life of trusting, doing what the Lord said. The Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. Birds have nests and fox have dens, right? Or, you know, take with you no purse or one pair of sandals and don't be worried because the worker's worthy of his hire and I, I love you and I'll take care of you. But just don't don't be thinking about what to eat or what to put on or what to wear. But this is what the nations are doing. But you seek his righteousness only. You make sure the only job you've got, David Vos is to seek righteousness and truth and knowing everything else will be given unto you. Even when you ask the Lord for information and, and, and enlightenment, wisdom, the brother of the Lord James said, um, he giveth to all men liberally, right? But you don't want to be asking that you want so just to consume it upon your lust. A lot of times people are asking for the wrong purpose. Either they don't ask and therefore they don't receive or they are asking, but they're asking to consume it upon their lust. And I found that I had been doing that. Some of the things I wanted the Lord to do for me wasn't really out of absolute pure heart. And so it took, it takes time. It's a journey. We have to have this enlightenment. It doesn't come with a couple of wow moments. It comes with a lot of wow moments. And so, um, I tried various attempts at trying to get out of the world. And then later on, my daughter, I had my daughter, I had to raise her. Like I say, she's 28 years old. So for the last 28 years, I never really wanted to, to leave her. And even now, I've told my daughter that I'm going out there and, you know, there's not going to be any electricity or anything like that. There's no house there. I'm going to live 
in nature, right? The way the Lord asks us to do, trusting in him and, and, and knowing that everything will be provided for me. As long as I am seeking his will, doing what he asks me to do, which is simply to love one another, not to be angry, not to lose my cool, not to, to, uh, to hate people or, 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 or criticize or judge my brothers, but simply to let go of all the pain and forgive my family and, 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 you know, which, you know, I, I never had much to forgive. My family was a good, yeah, Jehovah's Witnesses in this society, this world, it's kind of destroyed all, all of our relationships. But I know that my family, I, I've known my family since I was born, and we're good people. And they're my brothers. I love them so much, and they're such good brothers. But we just haven't been able to connect for all these years because of what the Lord has, um, the journey that we've been on, you know, and and uh, the struggle of this life, and not knowing really what to do about this struggle. So I don't know what they've been doing. You know, we, but I know that I've been independently searching and seeking and, and trying to, as I'm saying here, trying to get to a place where I would be pure in heart, trying to get to a place where I didn't just ask the Lord for answers, but I truly only wanted the truth, where I truly was willing to put myself, my life in his hands and trust to give what Jesus said to do a try. No one really has ever done. I used to walk, look around all these religions stuff and I saw none of them doing what they were told. Jehovah's Witnesses run, running around suit and tie, you know, and and um, I never saw any of that in the Bible, right? So, once I felt that the Lord had revealed some things to me, you probably, you might wonder, well, if the Lord's revealing stuff to you, I mean, you know, what more is there, right? You can talk to the Lord, well, you must be, you know, got a home run here. I mean, there's no problem, right? Well, waking up is more than allowing the alarm clock to go off. Waking up requires some sort of knowledge that you can get up and walk around. I mean, that may sound silly, but if you're in a, a great stupor, like you're drugged, you can be so out of it that your mind is confused about reality. It Maybe you think that your little dream or your nightmare is more real than reality you're still lost in this dream and when you you're kind of half conscious in both worlds and you end up just falling back to sleep and going through the nightmare some more so waking up isn't just a matter of somebody tapping you on the shoulder and explaining it to you you've got to be consciously understanding what you're being told. You've got to understand it for yourself. It's an experience. So it starts really very simple with truths and flashes of, of information that we all learn along the way. But then we have to practice these truths and then we have to know how to practice these truths. So let me give you an example of why we're having so much trouble 
doing what we know is right and finding the Lord and fully awakening. Let's say that you are going to participate in some newfangled advanced game or or thing, kind of like on Star Trek where they would have the holodeck, right? You'd go in and it, you'd flip a button and shut the door and it would just whoop and then you'd be some tropical island or, or you'd be on Earth or you'd be on Mars or wherever, the Klingon ship or something. It would just be this hologram and it seemed real and you could keep You'd walk and walk and walk. And I guess you're just walking around in circles inside this little room. But the sensory things, you know, and the the sights around you and the noises and the smells are there and everything. And you're just seeing this, you're seeing and living this experience and you really believe it. So something like that. Let's say that you, that you, you that you, they say, okay, here's this room. Now, on the floor, there's these big squares. Every time you step on one of these squares, it changes. It's like a button you push. And the change, the scene will change or, well, how about, let's say that if you step on a black square, it's no. And if it's a white square, it's yes or something or backwards or forwards or these kinds of things. It's like everything, you're going to have this hologramic, holographic experience and at every stage you're going to have to decide to go forward or backwards, left or right, yes or no, this kinds of thing. And you're going to sort of guide this experience. Now, if you guide the experience correctly, you get through the maze and you get out the other side and you win, right? But if you fail, you get caught up, the monsters come out of the woodwork and they scare you and you lose control and you panic and somehow or another, uh, you're, they're chasing you. And you can't figure out, you get caught up in this nightmare and you can't quite figure out that you're controlling it. You get lost, like in that other nightmare we were talking about where you're trying to wake up, but you can't because you're, somebody's drugged you or something, somebody's deceived you or whatever. You, that's the drug that, that we're on here in this world, this deception. We believe society. We believe our families. We believe our religions. We believe all this stuff and we're drugged. We're mesmerized. We're hypnotized. But in this other little game, it's that when they, when you go into this room, they don't tell you it's a fake room. They open the door and you think you just walked outside into a beautiful world with trees and animals and everything running around. And you don't know that you're stepping on these squares. And every time something happens in this scenario, in this room where you're at and all this hologram, and something jumps out at you, well, you immediately step backwards out of fear. And when you do that, the the square behind you is automatically set up to where if you step backwards and you step on that square, then something worse is going to happen because you succumbed to the fear. And they had it worked out in this game that if you were afraid, they knew you would step backwards and you would trigger this other scene, which would be even worse. And it would just keep getting worse if you kept stepping backwards or, or stepping away from the, the, the problem, whatever it might be. And so this is how the game was rigged to keep you in this cycle of fear and you never could win. However, what, if you were some kind of genius or if you were some, if you had this inner strength, if you were a little more special than other people, 
you'd be going through all these troubles and panic and nightmares and monsters and, and finally maybe you'd stop and say, wait a minute. I've seen five monsters in the last five minutes. This doesn't sound normal. There's something wrong here. I don't trust this. What is the problem? I've got to understand there's got to be a way out. See, in our world, the world we live in, you have to trust that there's always a way out. You have to trust that this is not willy-nilly. That the world, that, that the Lord is in charge. That the devil cannot and ever will be in charge. That the Lord loves us. That, that, that what you've been listening to, that you're not worthy and you've got to go to hell and pay for your sins and the Lord hates everybody and all this stuff. This is lies. It can't be true. Trust your inner knowing. You know, like like uh, Kung Fu, you know, like, oh, grasshopper, trust your inner knowing, you know. And so, here's how you can win this fight. You'll never win this fight if you're trying to do it with your conscious mind. But, so, so his master blindfolded young Kung Fu. They said, now, use the inner still voice. Don't fight with your conscious mind. Trust in the force, my son. And then he went out there and whooped it and went through the whole procedure and overcame it and won. And he became a master himself, right? This is the great, you know, we've seen it. When you, when you see the stories about Kung Fu or Lao Tzu and, and Taoism and all these, uh, these uh, ancient Eastern teachings that say that all is an illusion, that there's a secret knowledge, that you've got to find the secret. And overcome this world. You see. And so we, we're aware of that. This possibility. But we're not quite sure. Do you stake your life on something that you're not, you're not sure? Do you practice something night and day? Not even knowing if it's true? So it's, it's, a lo it's really hard to go from just start hearing about some teachings. But you don't know if it's true. And then practicing them. And then which teachings do you practice which you know what which path do you take when you don't really know so it could be a long struggle but even after you begin to to have this conviction within yourself that the physical world is that we're manifesting it ourselves power positive thing you begin to kind of trust that maybe that's the truth and then you start seeing it in the words of jesus and then you're like then you're really getting oh man this has got to be true but yet you're still failing they're still struggling and you're still suffering and maybe you're sick or you have nothing your family's left you and you're all alone and you say why oh lord why can't i i don't understand well you see it's at that moment that you should be able to kind of say wait a minute i'm still upset i'm still in a negative place i have this fear i have to overcome the fear why? Because it's the fear itself that keeps making the monsters. So in this little game, you stop being afraid and you stop and you say, wait a minute, maybe I notice that every time I step back, another monster pops up, right? So, you know, if you can slow down and think and not just react, but if you can slow down and think, now in real life, it's much more than just slowing down and thinking. I mean, a lot of people are calm and think a little bit. That's not going to get it. What I'm talking about, you need to really slow down and stop and be not afraid. 
take a look at the situations, this insistence that we have to go and be a slave or work night and day for the system. Or somehow we have to just accept that we're sick and got cancer and we're dying or, or our family's dying or whatever. Walk on the apostles did miracles and healed people. You know, something's wrong here. When you come to this place where you say, I'm certain that something's wrong. I know I will stand in my integrity and I will trust the Lord. I'm going to try it. Next time I see a monster, I'm not going to move. I, I remember that movie, uh, what was it? The Raiders of the Lost Ark number three. When was it Temple of Doom or was it um, something about the Ark? Raiders of the Lost Ark or something. Well, anyway, uh, Indiana Jones it was in this temple. They had to go down this, in this cave, and they came through this hole, and they came out to this huge cliff. And you had to get across the cliff to get to the Holy Grail. Or maybe it was something about the Holy Grail. It's the one where they, you know, he went to Germany in World War II and stuff. But anyway, he was an archaeologist, so he was also an historian, and he had read some on this, and he found, and he, he remembered reading that you have to overcome your fear to reach eternal life. So, he knew that the only way to get across this canyon was to have trust, to not be afraid. And that means you're going to have to take the first step, even though you do not know how you're going to survive. If you make that step, there's nothing, apparently, nothing there. You make that first step, and you're going to go, boo, right off into this misty, foggy, dark canyon. And you're gone down in there with the alligators and the boiling pits of bitumen and sulfur or whatever was down there, right? And it was very scary. I don't think in that situation anyone could just make that leap of faith. But it was making a point that life is like that. You've got to make the leap of faith or you will never succeed. Because if the truth is, is that everything is provided for us, that we're the masters of our own world, that we are the creators, then no matter how much you know that, no matter how many times you said that out loud, it still is going to be that until you stop being afraid and full of doubts and fears, that you're not going to have this wonderful experience of life and you're not going to overcome this world. So it's, it's one thing to believe something. It's another thing to practice it. And sometimes you're like that uh, the mad scientist that... that he, he's like, I know I've got the formula. I know it'll work. And he just takes a chance and drinks it, right? The invisible man formula or whatever. And sometimes they drink this and it kills them, right? But, but if you really believe in your work, you'll drink it, right? Now, this isn't like that because he's trusting in some formula that he made in his basement. I'm telling you to trust in the words of all the ancient holy prophets from the creation of the world on whether in India or Africa or Mesoamerica or China or Europe or the Middle East or anywhere in the world, the great shamans and prophets have told us that this physical world is the problem. It's the illusion. And we must understand that we are of a divine nature and we can, with faith and power of knowing do everything that we need so 
that's where it, it comes down to it that you have to step out in faith. And um, there's a whole series of stepping out in faith. I mean, you can say, well, I, I'm going to step out in faith and and uh, I'm going to trust that I don't need food for a week. Right? Well, that's something right there. But just because you fasted for a week doesn't mean you found total enlightenment and you're now basking in the you know, in, in the glory with the Lord on a cloud somewhere. But it means that you have tried, you begin to practice, you've seen some results, and if you are wise, you will continue and build upon it. That's one of the things that's really helped me is that I've been able to put my thought process down in these videos. Not everybody's ever been able to do this. In times past, people were going through these same struggles and they didn't have a way to put it down in a journal or every little thing. And every, every time I would learn something, I'd put it down in the video that day. And it seems like when you put it down in the video and you speak it with your mouth and you speak it into the air, it becomes reality. Once you've spoken it with conviction, it becomes reality. So part of what we have to do is once we surmise these truths, we have to speak them as though they're true. And one of the problems that you'll have along the way is you'll sometimes try it. You'll do something that you feel is the right path and you'll get a little reward out of it. Like for instance, maybe you see a homeless person and you notice they don't have clothes or money or whatever and you help them out and you give them a, uh, a coat and some food and and make sure they're okay and you think, okay, I've done a good deed. And you didn't you know, go around blowing a trumpet before you, but you did it just out of love. You know, you didn't tell anybody what you did. You just did it because you had compassion for that person. You genuinely cared for the person. It had nothing to do with physical acts. Like, oh, I gave him a coat. That's not going to do any good. Right? Jesus talked about, you know, if somebody wants your outer coat, give them your inner coat too. Your inner coat is your love and the spiritual things that you've got to give them, not just the outer material things. So even once we learn that, and we go and we give somebody something and when then we and and then the next day we're like, well, you know, that's all I do is I give, 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 and I don't get nothing back and this isn't working and I'm gonna start being selfish again, you know. Well, because your motive wasn't in the right place. You thought that you were gonna get gain by doing good to others. You see, it's not about getting gain at all. And this is where we what where we were well twenty minutes ago in this video. We were talking about what this is all about. What is the point here? You know, all these many words and prayers and, and all these good deeds, but still our life is like crap because we didn't learn the reason behind all these good deeds. We didn't have true integrity. We were only doing it for all the wrong reasons. So when you finally find that seeking information is not really the whole game, the game is seeking that inner spiritual self, that selfless divine being of love that has no fear, that Christ individual within you that knows everything, that sees everything. So I kept asking the Lord for this little piece of information that I'm telling you now. I didn't understand that I, I had to find this purity, but I, I thought I was looking for knowledge or, or answers, but I was really looking for myself. And so 
finally, one day, I pulled up to the stop sign in my dream. And I kept right on going. I put the gas on and I was driving a, yeah, I was driving this car and I, and I was on this road and, and this road started winding around and it began to find that I was going someplace that seemed very, very familiar. And I was like, where am I? And then I realized that wherever it was, it was the real world. It was where we all belonged. Along the road, I saw certain places to dwell where, where some of my friends and family dwelled. This is where my mother and father lived. This was where my brothers lived. Here's where my sister lived. There's where my friends lived. And then I came across this home that was my home. And it was all very familiar. And in the yard was all of the cars that I'd ever owned. They were all lined up. Every one of them. I mean, it was like 50 of them. I had a lot of old cars. You know, for years, I would buy an old jalopy and it would run for a year or so and break down and get another one, you know. But I had all these cars and I was so, I love these old vehicles. They kind of represent a certain thing in my life at that time, right? So I was looking at this place and I was like, yeah, that's where I live. That's my home. And and, and I was like, oh, no, no, but get on this road because we got to find the the end of this road because at the end of this road is is the source, is where... It's, it's it's the New Jerusalem. I just knew that, that that I was home, right? And I wanted to see the interior, the source of light. I wanted to see the Divine Father and the Divine Mother themselves. And I wanted to know everything. I, want, I had all these questions. And I knew that if I could get to the city, that there'd be all the answers that I would need. So I kept on driving. And finally, I went up over this hill and I saw this mm, amazing glass city. Yeah, it looked like the Emerald City. It was the most beautiful thing. And I tell you, it was far more amazing than what I could even describe. My heart was just up inside my chest. Just, uh, you know, I just felt higher than a kite. I felt happy. I felt, uh, oh, just lighter than a feather and, and, and full of joy. And it was just an experience I can't describe. And and I'm driving down this road and it was like a roller coaster because it, this one, this road just went right straight to the center of the city. And right in the middle was this huge skyscraper in the middle of the city. And it was like a, a roller coaster. It was a road that went right, kind of bent like a bridge, kind of bending towards, you know, uh, going up to the top of this skyscraper. And it's just almost three-fourths up or something like that. It was like, it just went into this, like a carport where I parked and 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 got out and they ushered me into this, the glass doors opened and there were angels and people standing around and I didn't recognize everybody there, but I knew that they were beings of love. And I had all these questions. I guess they don't even speak there with words. It's like telepathic. So everything I thought, they were hearing me and they were just ushering me right, it's like taking me in like on a tour, like this is, come on down and this is your life, you know, and, and I'm like, well, I have these questions, like come around this, in this room, we know you have these questions. And we went into this room and there was these huge cabinets, just thousands and thousands of cabinets with drawers. And we went down this aisle and this other hall and we stood in front of this cabinet and there was a drawer and the angel opened that drawer and there was my file and it had all the information about me and 
they showed me that anything you ever wanted to know was recorded and put in these files. And they told me these were the Acacia records. And anything I wanted to know, I could know. And I spent hours opening drawers and reading and learning and being amazed. And I was just filled with all this truth and knowing. And I had no more doubts and no more fears. And then the angel said, okay, now you have to go back. Because you're not, your time on earth's not over and you have to go back down there where you probably won't remember a lot of this. And I was aware that I wouldn't be able to retain much of it. But when I came back and opened my eyes, much to my surprise, I was allowed to keep the memory of this beautiful city and I'll never forget it. But anyway, that's what it's really like. And that is how a person can find the answers. It is a very beautiful thing. But anyway, I'm going to have to go because it's well over an hour and I hope you guys enjoyed that and somehow got something out of that that somehow made sense to you. Hope the Lord will bless you. I'm going to go ahead and go. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a good one.